Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 21? I know Scott read there in uh, Philippians. That was uh, intentional as well. We're going to reference that passage um, this morning, but we're going to spend most of our time in Acts as we've been going through uh, this book. We're in chapter 21 now, and um, here in verses 1 through 14, Paul and his mission teammates, um, they've said goodbye to the Ephesian pastors Uh, They've left Miletus. They're heading towards Jerusalem. The third missionary journey of Paul is coming to a close here. Uh, In the faithful farewell address that Paul gave to those Ephesian pastors that we studied last week uh, in chapter 20, Paul said this. I want to remind you of it. Paul said this in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. Paul said, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are going to happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and and tribulations await me. You know, back in chapter 20, Paul testified of of not really knowing specifically what was ahead for him when he arrived in Jerusalem, but he had a clear, he had a clear leading from the Holy Spirit to go there. He had a number of personal and ministry reasons to go as well. Um, and, And We know from those verses there in chapter 20 that Paul seems to believe that his experience there is not going to be a whole lot different than what he encountered everywhere that he went on mission. Chains and tribulations, things that might cause us to fear and recoil and maybe not know if that's what we should do or maybe not obey God's will. It's so amazing. I remember a couple Sundays ago, a Sunday night, I think it was Sunday night, and uh, I was walking down the hall, and I was like, man, who is singing down there? Who is, heard some, you know, could tell it was like a young lady's voice. And I came in, I saw Emmy singing, and I didn't know what she was going to sing. And I'll be honest, it's just beautiful. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the words that night. As I'm sitting there, I'm like, God had her song for today. I mean, I'm praying that you would overcome fear, you know, and that you'd be brave in the Lord. Listen to what God is telling you to do. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 21. We're going to find out this morning that was exactly what was ahead for the Apostle Paul. Uh, And the Holy Spirit, he communicates that to Paul twice um, through others at different times on this trip as he nears Jerusalem, that that he's going to experience great difficulty when he gets there. So what will Paul do? I mean, he's being led by the Holy Spirit to go there, but the Holy Spirit is also revealing the danger that going there entails for him. And his, his dear friends, people he loves, they're telling him, don't go. Will, will Paul be faithful to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Will he trust in the sovereignty and power and goodness of God? Will Paul be faithful to God's will? Let's read verses 1 through 14, chapter 21. It says, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Kos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara, and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and we sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. 
And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and we went on our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and we prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And we had finished our course from Tyre. We came to Tolmas, and then we saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and we abode with him. And the same man had four daughters. They were virgins. They prophesied. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he came unto us, he took Paul's girdle, And he bound his own hands and feet, and he said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, we besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I'm not... I'm ready to not be bound also, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded... We ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. Let's pray. God, I know for every Christian that is supposed to be our number one desire, that your will would be done. I mean, it's something we pray, even in the Lord's Prayer. Um, And while that might just be a phrase that rattles off our tongue, I pray that it would be heartfelt. More than anything, I pray that it would be something that guides our lives. So uh, when through your word or any other way you might communicate to us, Um, you make us aware of your will. I pray that we would have the faithfulness of Paul here. There's much we can learn from his example. Um, God, thank you so much for the truth we have in your word. But um, as important as that is, the right application of that truth is even more essential if we're going to follow your will, know your will and follow it. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal your truth to us this morning and we would know your will and then that he would give us the courage uh, just like Emmy sang about, to, to fearlessly, boldly, courageously always obey you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, before we go through this verse by verse, this, I mean, I think it's clear here. We've got two major warnings, really. Uh, Paul's forewarned in Phoenicia. He's forewarned in Caesarea. Uh, Luke is the human author that the Holy Spirit inspired to write the book of Acts to us. Um, Luke is a doctor. That's what his profession was. So he's a detail guy, and that's clear in verses 1 through 3. I mean, he tells us every single uh, point and stop on their itinerary as they leave Miletus, head toward Jerusalem, make a bunch of different stops on Greek islands. And then finally, they find a larger ship that's going to go straight there. Thank goodness we can cut to the chase. Um, And in this section, I, I do want to pause to reiterate Paul's great love for the Ephesian church leaders he had just left uh, in Miletus. That's what our message last week was about. I'm not going to go over it all again, but we see the deep love that Paul had for them in verse 1. It says, and it came to pass that after we had gotten from them, in the King James Version, uh, in the Greek, gotten from them is just really one word. It's uh, apospao, and it literally means to wrench away. After we wrenched ourselves away, after we dragged ourselves away from them, the NIV puts it like this, after we had torn ourselves away from them, I mean, that's love. That, that is a deep relation that Paul has with the Christians uh, in these churches. That is the depth of the bond that you and I are to have because we're in Christ. Now, let's drop down now to verse 4. Paul and his mission team are now in Tyre, and the ship is unloading uh, its products in this major commercial seaport. And then verse 4 tells us that they found disciples there in Tyre, and they spent a week with them. Do you realize that nowhere in Acts do we have a record of a church being planted in Tyre? 
Uh, and so that's a testimony of the power and spread of the gospel, isn't it? Uh, Paul never went there that we know of. Um, Peter, we don't have a record of that. None of the apostles. Uh, we should understand that. I mean, we've been reading tons of amazing things for 21 chapters now about how God worked through people. But really, we're getting like just a sliver of what was going on. As Christians obeyed what Jesus told them to do, and as they were going, they were making disciples. Now, verse 4 also tells us that while Paul and his mission team were fellowshipping with these Christians in the church at Tyre for seven days, that the Holy Spirit informed believers there of what's going to happen to Paul if he continues on toward Jerusalem. And it says, they said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So I suppose this is as good as time as any to pause right here and deal with what appears to be a contradiction in God's Word. And we're going to have another instance follow later in this passage. You know, in those verses I mentioned from chapter 20 um, earlier this morning, uh, we studied together last week. Let, let me remind you once again, Paul said this, and see now I go bound, bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So Paul is clearly, Paul's clearly being led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. That word bound in the Greek is uh, deo. Not the banana boat song, right? Um, Deo, uh, it means fastened <laughs> or compelled. Like he's got no choice. He knows this is the Holy Spirit's will. He's going. He's going no matter what. Uh, Paul had no doubt that it was God's will for him to head to Jerusalem. Even earlier, back in chapter 19, uh, while Paul was still in Ephesus on his two to three year uh, ministry there, uh, in Acts 19, verse 21, it says this, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in spirit to go to Jerusalem, uh, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Same thing with must. It, it's a slight variation of that deo, but like, I have to go to Rome. It's not even an option. And we know Paul did get there eventually. We'll briefly talk about that later. Uh, but so on two different occasions, at two different times, in two different scripture passages, we know from God's word that the Holy Spirit had made it clear to Paul that it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem, and even more than that, eventually to Rome. So is there a contradiction here uh, in God's word? Is there a contradiction from the Holy Spirit? Is he telling Paul one thing, and, and Paul's friends, other Christians, is he telling them something else? Does God contradict himself? No, so we got to figure this out, right? And he'll help us do that. Stay with me. We're going to have another opportunity to do that in just a moment. But first, let's finish this section by looking at verses 5 and 6. Paul heard that the Holy Spirit, he heard what he had revealed through these Christians entire, but there's not much of a response as far as him going, okay, well, maybe I'll change my plans. In fact, he says he departs. Verse 5 informs us of his departure to continue on in his journey into Jerusalem. And these kind Christians entire, uh, they walk them out. The whole families are joining Paul in this mission team. They have a little prayer meeting on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea before he leaves. And then in verse 6, Paul and his mission team get on a ship and they head home, or at least closer to home. The next stop here is on the coast uh, north of Israel in what's modern-day Lebanon. Uh, Paul's forewarned in Caesarea. Verse 7 says they get to Tolmes. And there's Christians there too, but verse 8 tells us that uh, they only spent a little bit of time with them. Uh, instead, they travel down by land to Caesarea, and they enter an old friend's house there to stay for a bit. Whose house is that in verse 8? Who are they staying with? Philip, right? Do you remember Philip? I mean, it's been a long time, like going all the way back to the first few chapters uh, of Acts. He's referred to here as one of the seven because he was one of the seven deacons. 
that, that were chosen, that the church chose to lead the church and serve the church. Uh, Philip's also called here the evangelist. Uh, like literally, it just means Philip, the sharer of good news. His life so revolved around telling people about Jesus Christ and the salvation that we can have uh, in him. Uh, it wasn't just like something he did in the church. This is who he was all the time. Uh, if you remember, God used Philip to initially take the gospel from the here of Jerusalem to the there of Samaria. First time the gospel left Jerusalem, just as Jesus said it should. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost place of the world. Philip did that. He's also the one that shared the gospel with that Ethiopian eunuch. Right after that moment, um, he ends up going to Caesarea here, where we're finding him now. Kind of settled down here. He's continuing to serve the Lord in evangelism here in Caesarea. Uh, it tells us that Philip had four daughters in verse 9. Four single daughters. Uh, and we learn in verse 9 that the Holy Spirit had given them the gift of prophecy. That these four ladies are the last ones mentioned in God's word. Um, they follow in line of a long list of ladies who had this gift. You had uh, Miriam, that was Moses' sister, in uh, Exodus 15:20. She's listed as a prophetess. Deborah, Judges 4:4, 4, 4, Isaiah's wife, and Isaiah 8:3. Huldah in 2 Kings 22:14, and, and a New Testament one, Anna. You remember her from the birth of Jesus when they took him to the temple. Anna the prophetess was there in Luke 2.36. And we know that this spiritual gift, this, this gift of prophecy, something that was evident, something that was so necessary in the early church because they did not have what you and I have today. Uh, they did not have the completed word of God. We know that that gift was not limited to men. Paul gives instructions uh, in the right use and ministry of the gift of prophecy to both men and ladies in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 5. Now, there's a lot of prophesying going on here. We already had one situation in Phoenicia. We're about to have another. It is, seems, to me, it seems kind of odd that um, here there's four ladies who have a ministry of prophecy and for some reason, what they have to say, or they might not have anything to say, or what they do have to say isn't recorded. Um, but, but we do find out somebody who does have a word from the Holy Spirit. Uh, a prophet named Agabus, beginning in verse 10, it tells us that he came down, which is really up again geographically, uh, because Jerusalem was the uh, highest point, and it's a city of God. No matter where you go from Jerusalem, it's always up. Right, And so um, they go from up Jerusalem down, even though it's north, to Caesarea. Uh, this is a prophet named Agabus, and he comes to Philip's house. It's the message from the Holy Spirit, not just words. Uh, a lot like the Old Testament prophets, he actually acted out uh, what the Holy Spirit's message was. Uh, and so here it is. Would you look at verse 11? Yeah, he takes Paul's girdle. He takes Paul's belt, All right, the sash that would hold his outer robes together, and Agabus begins wrapping his hands and his feet with it. And then Agabus verbally communicates the message from the Holy Ghost. He says, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle, and they shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So this is a second forewarning, uh, a second communication from the Holy Spirit, right? First in Phoenicia, from the Christian's there and now here in Caesarea from Agabus. And this isn't the first time we've been introduced to Agabus in the book of Acts. Uh, way back in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, uh, Agabus had a prophecy from the Holy Spirit too. A great famine was going to happen in the then known world at that time. It was going to hit Judea, uh, Jerusalem, especially hard. Uh, in fact, one of Paul's main reasons for wanting to go to Jerusalem 
It's because there's Christians suffering because of that famine there. And, and Paul is bringing a love offering that he's a sizable one that he's collected from the church in Galatia and, and, and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth. He's bringing it down there uh, for this. And, and I mentioned, uh, you know, I mentioned this former prophecy from Agabus because Paul knew that the Holy Spirit had given this guy uh, the gift of prophecy and that what he said came true. Not that the prophecy from those Christians in Phoenicia was inconsequential. They just didn't have the track record that, that Agabus had. And so I would guess that would weigh, it would be weightier on the, on the minds of Paul maybe and the Christians who heard what Agabus said. So let's work this out now. Paul has testified at least twice uh, on two different occasions in his life, two different times in his life, and according to two different scripture references that the Holy Spirit is clearly leading Paul to go to Jerusalem. And here in Acts 20, we have two different prophecies from the Holy Spirit through God's people that bad things await Paul in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit is leading him. Let me reread verse 4 once more. Let's go back there. Uh, it says, In finding disciples, we tarried there for seven days. Who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem? So, uh, I mean, I want to reread that because if you ask me, this is a more difficult one. Is Paul disregarding the Holy Spirit's leading here? I don't think so. It never says that here or anywhere else in God's word. Um, that, that concise description in verse 4, it's definitely difficult. They said to Paul through the Holy Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And then we have the Holy Spirit's message through Agabus here in verse 11. Is it the same thing? Now hold on a little. Think now. Look at verse 11. Is it the same thing? Does Agabus say that the Holy Spirit is telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Is that the message of the Holy Spirit? Is that even the message of Agabus? No, the Holy Spirit just communicates through Agabus to Paul and to everybody else there what's going to happen to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem, right? He never tells him not to go. Now, back in verse 4, that is stated with how it's put. So, so is the Holy Spirit confused? Uh, is he giving different messages and leading Paul uh, in chapters 19 and 20 of Acts, and now different messages to the Christians in Tyre and, and Agabus here in chapter 21? No, the Holy Spirit's not confused. No, he's not giving different messages. When we come to a situation like this in Scripture, and there's others, where, where there appears to be a contradiction, we always need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if one verse seems to be saying this, but the other verses are saying something else, then we go with that knowing that in our human mortal minds, we're not understanding this one that's different for some reason. Um, I believe that in verse 4, what we have is a record of the Holy Spirit telling those Christians there uh, the same thing that he told Paul in chapters 19 and 20, and the same thing that he's telling uh, Agabus here in chapter 21. Paul, you're going to be arrested when you get to Jerusalem. You're going to experience a dangerous uh, level of suffering when you get there. The, the difference is that in verse 4, we get the application from the Christians entire of the Holy Spirit's message. Sometimes can we have the wrong application of truth? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we got here. The wrong application of the Holy Spirit's message that Paul is going to inevitably suffer. Uh, their application of truth was this. Man, Paul's going to suffer there? Don't go. <laughs> Don't go, Paul. But is that what the Holy Spirit told Paul? 
Did the Holy Spirit tell Paul he'd have suffering there? Yeah. Is that what the Holy Spirit told Paul through Agabus? Don't go. He didn't say that. So we have a good reminder here. Truth is very important. Um, and we have truth right here, don't we? In the Word of God. Praise the Lord for that. But do you know what is just as important as having truth? Or correctly applying truth? Correctly understanding what God is saying? I believe the Christians entire got this goofed up. And actually, so does Luke. And so does everybody else here that hears what Agabus has to say in Caesarea. Look now at verse 12. Luke, Luke writes this. When we heard these things, uh, both we and they of that place, everybody else there, uh, we besought Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So they echo the words of the Christians back in Tyre. Don't go. Don't go, Paul, because there's danger ahead. You can count on it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is telling you this repeatedly now. He's even given you specifics of what's going to happen. You're going to be arrested by the Jews. They're going to turn you over to be tried by the Romans. Don't go, Paul. But what did God tell Paul to do? He told him to go to Jerusalem. Did God say, go, but you know, something it gets a little dicey. Yeah, don't worry about it. God never said that. Now, look, God has given us some common sense. Uh, Paul has been warned of danger before in the first and second and third missionary trips uh, when he had plans of his own to do this or to do that. And Paul modified his plans. That's sensible. This is different. Let me tell you the historical record in Scripture, and honestly, even in my own life. Um, Christian, the safest place for you to be is in the center of God's will. Like, to human understanding, to logic, it might not make any sense. I mean, I don't know why bullets flew by my head and hit other people. I don't know. I don't know why yesterday I petted a copperhead and it didn't taste me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is that if you know what God's will is and you obey God's will, that's the safest place to be. Safest place to be in life. Paul had clearly said that he's been clearly led by the Holy Spirit to go here. Danger or not, death or not. Uh, I mean, that is what Paul said back in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I mean, it's just a page. You could probably flip back there. Look at what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. None of these things move me. <laughs> All that danger you're telling me about, that I might get arrested. Paul had already died. You remember that? Second missionary trip. They stoned him. They left him for dead. People thought he was dead. And all of a sudden, his friends went around. They're probably fixing to bury him. And God said, no, not yet. None of these things move me. Neither count I my own life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, that I might finish the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, I understand uh, totally the thoughts and the ways of the Christians in Tyre and the Christians in Caesarea here. I understand uh, their pleas of don't go. I mean, here is a man who is, for all practical purposes, the leader of Christianity right now. This is a guy who God is using to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's planting churches. Is God greatly using Paul right now? Yeah. I mean, this is like the Billy Graham, times 10 probably, of, of this day and time. So it makes no sense to the human mind. It makes no sense to human ministry strategy for Paul to knowingly go where he's going to be arrested, probably in prison, possibly worse. So I understand their thoughts and their ways. But what does God tell us in Isaiah 58, 55, 8, and 9? Christian, don't ever forget this. God says, for my, my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. 
neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And you and I, I mean, we're blessed to know the end of this story. Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. He will get arrested. We'll understand that in the next couple of weeks. Um, And because of that, he finally has the opportunity to do what God told him he would do right after he got saved back in Acts chapter 9. God said this, Acts 9, 15. Paul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So far, Paul has been sharing the gospel with Gentiles for sure, also the children of Israel. But at this point, not too many kings. He hasn't had that opportunity. That's going to change. Soon he will be able to share the gospel before King Agrippa and and a government official named Felix. And and eventually, because of his arrest and his imprisonment and a transfer to a Roman prison, we're going to learn in the book of Philippians that the gospel actually reaches the household of the emperor Nero. He's like the top king in the world at, at that time. Are God's thoughts and ways higher than ours? Yeah. Is God's will better than ours? Who better, who better than the current leader of Christianity to be arrested and imprisoned, beaten, threatened with death for his faith? Who better than that to be an example to the countless Christians who were about to face being human garden torches at Nero's dinner parties, who were about to be thrown to the lions and gladiators and Roman Colosseums because of their faith. Those Christians need, they need Paul's faithful example of following God's will no matter what, testifying that Jesus is enough. Are God's thoughts and ways higher than ours? Yeah, they're better than ours. Paul's willing to be this example for others to follow, faithfully following God's will, knowing Jesus Christ. It was more important to Paul than, than anything else. He said that in our scripture reading passage earlier this morning in Philippians. I, I do want you to turn there. I wasn't going to um, point this one out, but as uh, Scott was reading, Philippians chapter 1, if you could go there for just a second. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 through 10. He said, I count all things as loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and I can be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but a a righteousness that is through faith in Christ. Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Anybody else here want to know that? Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know eternal life, the power of his resurrection? Then listen to what Paul says. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Anybody want to sign up for that this morning? being conformable unto his death. There in Philippians 1, the, the verse that just really got me this morning, verse 28, this is what God wants for you. Don't be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an, an evident token of perdition. How they're treating you, God will take care of it. Don't be terrified by it. And honestly, it's evidence of your salvation by God. Verse 29, for unto you, for unto you, Christian, this is for you, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. Are you thankful for the gift of faith that saves you in Jesus Christ? That's given unto you. Oh, man. But there's a but also here. Do you know what else is given unto you? What's it say? To suffer for his sake. It's a gift. Don't feel like one. It's not one I was hoping to be under the Christmas tree, right? You've been given to believe in Jesus Christ. You've been given salvation, but you've also been given to suffer for his sake. Do you want to know Christ? Do you want to know Christ like this? 
the fellowship of his sufferings? I hope so, but there's too many Christians who don't. They, they want a crown without a cross. They want glory, but no grave. They say they want to follow Christ. I don't want to follow him to Calvary. Or in this instance, I don't want to follow him to Jerusalem. They want Christ, but not as much they want the idea of comfort. You know, in verses 13 and 14 here, Paul responds to these four warnings. Really, he is responding to the truth of the prophecies with the right application of truth. And it's here we see faithfulness in Paul. In verse 13, Paul tells him, why are you weeping? Why are you all acting like this? Why are you breaking my heart? I already know what's going to happen to me there. The Holy Spirit's leading me there. And honestly, this is a grace from him. So that when I get there and I do get arrested and I do get in prison and I do get handed over to Roman authorities, I'll be like, well, God said this is going to happen. I mean, I, I can stand. I'll have the strength to stand when that happens because God in his grace has already told me and he's told the Christians entire and now he's told Agabus, why are you weeping and why are you breaking my heart? Paul's faithfulness to the Holy Spirit and Paul's right application of truth, it finally helps his friends understand this, that there's no use in their continued pleas. They, they get to where Paul is in verse 14. What do they say there? The will of the Lord be done. And that is, that is Christ-like, folks, isn't it? The will of the Lord be done. Do you hear the echo from Gethsemane? And then what Jesus said? As he's on his knees praying, Father, if it's possible, in any way, let this cup pass from me. But not, not my will. Your will. Your will be done. Jesus understood what God's will was. You know, at least one of his disciples during his ministry, he told them not to. What did Jesus say there at the end? He woke them up. He said, get up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's, they're here. Get up. Let's go. Let's go to the cross. Let's go to Calvary. And Paul understood what the will of the Lord was here. The Holy Spirit's made it clear. And Paul tells his friends here, really in verses 13, 14, he's telling his friends what Jesus told the disciples. Get up. Come on. It's time to go. Let's go to Jerusalem. To be sure, I mean, I look out this morning on followers of Jesus. You're not unlike Paul. I don't know every situation, but I know you probably have your own Jerusalem ahead of you in some format. Uh, God has told you in his word what his will is for you. Oftentimes, he often graciously uh, even reveals what it might entail. There might be some level of suffering ahead. There might be some pain ahead. Jesus, follower, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to be faithful like Paul? Are you going to be obedient to the Lord? Uh, will your faithful uh, response of obedience, will God use that in the lives of your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and your brothers and sisters in Christ here at church so, so that when God's will is revealed to them, but it also includes some level of pain and suffering, they don't retreat, they don't recoil in disobedience, but they follow you just as you follow Paul, just as you follow Jesus. You know, we talk a lot here about knowing truth and how important it is to spend time in God's word. But listen, equally important is the right application of truth. You can take a single verse out of context in scripture and get it to mean just about anything. I mean, Satan is a master at twisting God's word like that. Will you ask God this morning, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to be active in my life. Help me correctly understand and apply the word of God to my life, to my values, to my choices. One of the most heartbreaking things for me to see as a pastor is professing Christians who live lives that are quite dominated by, by fear. That's often manifested in sin. I mean, you can go back to the Garden of Eden, and that first sin was, I mean, it was, it was dominated by fear. But wait, God doesn't want what's best for me? He's trying to keep something from me? And Eve believes Satan's lie. 
out of fear. And you and I are here today because of all of that. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes in major sins, fear is manifested. Most of the time, it's probably in more what we call respectable sins. Like, oh, I just, I mean, I wish I had more faith. Well, what is not having faith? Fear. What is fear? Sin. <laughs> and we got to address that. Um, because it doesn't matter what sin it is, it's still still is a hammer blows of the nails going into Jesus' hands. You know, they still are giant walls to you and I living in the joy and the, the blessing that God's provided for us in Christ. How I love to hear this echo down the halls of Dublin First Baptist during the week when Miss Kitty has her class in session. There's little children, probably seven or so, all proclaiming in unison, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean on unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct thy paths. This morning, would you make that your testimony? Like, not just what I believe and, and I can quote and what I say, but no, I, this one I'm going to do, God. I'm going to trust in you with, with all of my heart. Um, I'm going to obey your will when I know it. I'm going to let the one whose thoughts and whose ways are so much higher so much better than mine, I'm going to joyfully let him direct my past. Uh, evangelist Tom Farrell often said this, in life there's really only two choices on the shelf. You can please God or you can please self. What's it going to be, Jesus follower? Are you going to be faithful to his will? Who's going to join Paul and his friends this morning committing to what they committed to in verse 14? Would that, would that be your commitment this morning? The will of the Lord be done. Tommy, would you come and Lead us in a time to respond to God's word, and that's my prayer here. The will of the Lord be done.